0: I'm James Schoen, and I'm James Surtin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers.
1: Welcome to Talking Teenagers, and this afternoon we have got Dick Moore with us, uh, which is a real honour. Dick Moore, who is the uh, ex-headmaster of Forest Sandal Manor, and uh, now works with the Charlie Waller Foundation. Hello Dick. Hello James. Lovely to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Um, what we would love to start by asking is a little bit of your story, if you could share your journey to where you are today. So uh, I was, uh, I was
2: uh, an English teacher, rugby coach, housemaster at Cranley School in, in Surrey. Um, left there 32 years ago, which makes me extraordinarily old, much older than you, and uh, became head of a co-ed day and boarding school down in the New Forest. Stayed there for nearly 23 years. Gave it up when my wife told me I was becoming grumpy and unpredictable. And um, I became a house husband. Now, for anybody listening, I can recommend house husbandry. You need a partner to bring in enough money. But I was a house husband as my wife got a job as a housemistress, maths and physics teacher in a posh girls boarding school in Berkshire. Uh, So I spent four years living in a girls boarding house surrounded by 65 teenagers. The second year... Um, my third of my four sons, Barney, uh, who had always been an entirely normal guy, uh, marginally dyslexic, averagely bright, quite cool, very popular, but also quite anxious, and head over heels in love, but he was dumped by his girlfriend. And that led to, a, I suppose, an obsessive campaign to get her back. And when she didn't come back, no reason why she should, um, he killed himself and that was in September 2011, and that obviously caused us to take stock and to think, hang on, what are we doing? So um, we, we stayed at the school for another year, then we moved up to Wimbledon, which is where we now live. I joined up with the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust for want of anything better to do, stuffing envelopes, and they asked me to do a talk and since then, in that six years, I became a mental health first aid instructor. But I'm nothing else. I'm nothing like as qualified as most of the people you'll be talking to. I have no clinical or academic qualifications to talk about my complete passion for the emotional and mental health of young people. Not, not necessarily about suicide, but about the devastating problem with productivity contentment family life caused by emotional and mental ill health
0: just love to unpack that a bit more with you obviously you kind of learn in the hardest way imaginable about some of the issues surrounding that what what were your have been in those years subsequently and you know as you've been wandering around what are your chief takeaways in terms of what we as society can learn about how we bring up young children well
2: well I, I'm, I'm I guess
0: as I've gone around schools and talked
2: to more people I've become very very interested in what education is for what we're not doing about the pressure that young people are under I look back to my school days and the pressure was to win your first 15 rugby match to get some A-levels to get you into a university but there wasn't There wasn't a lot of pressure. You know, my parents were lovely. They probably nagged me to do some revision. But I didn't feel ever under the pressure that young people today feel under. Part of that, I believe, is uh, down to the lack of immediacy in our youth. You, uh, You came home, you went up to your bedroom, you put a record on. If you wanted to phone your girlfriend, you had to go downstairs and do it in the hall. With your two sisters lingering around, um, and but once you got up to your room, there was no—you were on your own. Um, so that lack of immediacy, the fast-paced hurly-burly of life that they are now facing, I feel—I feel very increasingly strongly about the role of of education. That certainly, with a lot of uh, selective schools, um, I might even say prestigious schools. There is a... a, a, People know they're measured on on grades and IB points and the rest of it. And the pressure is huge. And inevitably, in my view, some young people are going to buckle under that pressure, not solely because of it, because there's no one trigger for, for difficulties. But what I find very difficult to accept is the fact that we don't spend more time in schools providing the education that will enable young people to cope the pressure that they're going to be under it is put in a box it's put to the pastoral deputy or or pshe it is not yet in the culture of our educational system
1: what would you say the pressures are it's academic and what are the other pressures
2: i think it's academic for some but i it's interesting i do quite a lot of work up in the northeast up in south shields in a fantastic school and they are in a, a seriously deprived area and i uh, i have some statistics from across England and Wales which I go into a school and I say this is how many of your children are going to be depressed, suffer from anxiety disorder, are going to self-harm and up there they say yeah yeah those are about right. Um, Reasons, gangs, poverty, uh, no jobs, poor housing, deprivation but I also do a fair bit of work in southwest London at highly selective glitzy London girls schools and they say yeah those figures in fact those figures are a bit low when it comes to self-harm and to anxiety and stress, reasons are completely different. Academic expectation, uh, social aspiration, and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's nationwide, but I'm also really interested in this whole nature, uh, notion of, of triggers, that we, we had triggers, we, had, we were dumped by girlfriends, we had uh, parents who perhaps split up, or, or we failed an exam, or we didn't get into that. And we had reason to be low, But I think that the number of potential negative triggers that are upon children, young people now, are increasingly uh, great. And um, I don't think we prepare them to cope. I don't think we as parents prepare our young people to deal with the negatives that they will, not if, but when they experience those big negatives. Do we as parents really help them
0: to get... I know I didn't, we didn't, and I still don't. So we have a, a heightened state or climate of pressure, of busyness, of measurement. And what you're talking about there is teaching them to be more resilient really is how yeah. we, we take that out. And I've heard you say before, we can teach and learn resilience. Can you, Yeah, fascinating. how can you do that? And, and for parents listening, how do they teach their children resilience? I think
2: it is exceptionally difficult for parents. I think it is much easier for schools. Why is it difficult for parents? Well, I thought, before I had my children, that I'd be a pretty good dad. Bit of cricket in the garden, take them to watch the football, they'll do what they're told eventually because I'm bigger than they are. It didn't work out like that. In fact, it's been really difficult. And one of the reasons it's difficult is because I find, as a parent, being consistent really difficult. Because my mood on a Tuesday might be completely different to what it was on Sunday. And therefore, it's not just about them, it's also about us. And I think our instinct as a parent is to help our children avoid difficulty, pain, problems, worry, and we will do what we can to remove those obstacles. And we see it every day in schools when a parent rings up about their daughter being dropped from the netball team and wants to know why, and the school wants to tell her to you know, leave the daughter to get on with it. But it's our instinct as a parent to want to solve the problem. And what we need to do is back off. I think the example I sometimes use is um, happened very recently. My number two son phoned up my wife on a Saturday morning and said, Mum, I'm, uh, I'm trying to find some decent kitchen taps and I can't find any. And my wife said, well, don't worry, Tris. i will got some time when I get home from work this evening. I'll look into it and I'll send you an email with some, some thoughts. And she put the phone down and I said, Sheena, what are you doing? We've talked about this again and again. We have to let our children solve their own problems. But exactly a week later, I answered the phone, also Saturday morning, same child, same son, 33 years old, married with two children, mind you, and he wanted to know how to get to Wellsfield. And I said, Oh, don't worry, Tris, I'll look at our AA route planner and send you, text you that. So I'm guilty as well. They're 30, he's 33. We're still trying to solve problems. And somehow we need to find that balance as parents between constantly being there for our children and actually saying, You know what? You
0: go and try and sort this out. It's tricky there, isn't it? Because it can make us appear inconsistent as parents. Sometimes we're, we're going to step in and help, and other times we're not. Absolutely. And you know, in many ways you kind of think, well, it'd be better just consistently do nothing. But as parents, it's very <laughs> hard to think about even conceiving nothing, of doing You can't do nothing, and you that. shouldn't do everything. Yes.
2: And where the hell's the balance? Well, that is why parenting is in nigh in on impossible. Yeah. But I think schools don't have that emotional mm.
0: involvement. Schools can be consistent. So a good sort of um, soundbite to a parent would be: look, ask the school, trust the school, speak to the teachers, see what they think, get get advice from them about whether to intervene, not intervene, whether a- to help, absolutely. whether not to help. But I'd also,
2: say, I mean, I would say that, wouldn't I, as a former head and teacher? But I also think talking to your children about it. So when they get well, whatever age they are, when they're when they're six, my 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 granddaughter who's five said just last weekend. I said, what, what are you doing, Dulcie?" And she said, I'm making a cake. And I said, oh, well, that looks very nice. She said, Grandpa, could you go and find me some this? And I said, "Dulcie, you go and do it. No, Grandpa do it, she said. And what did I do? I waddled off and did what she wanted me to do. Now, it is difficult, but if we talk to them and say, actually, if I always do everything for you, then how are you going to learn to do it? More to the point, how are you going to discover that when the going gets seriously tough... You can get through that. So my my talks are often about getting through storms because life has plenty of damn storms. And it doesn't have to be your son dying. It can be being dumped by your boyfriend. It can be not doing very well, not being not having many friends, or and actually we need to know gradually as we grow up, certainly by the time we leave school and perhaps lose those safety
1: nets, that we can get through even the worst. So what storm. are your main bits of advice on how you get through a storm?
2: If I'm talking to to young people, yeah. it is comes around to uh, I suppose one of the main bits is that we're all vulnerable. Even the coolest, cleverest, wealthiest, most privileged, most perfect of us is vulnerable. And that the only thing that is weak about being vulnerable is being unwilling or unable to ask for help for ourselves or for our friends or for our family. And but that that in itself if it's a teenager isn't it it's it's really difficult actually to ask for help. So so as a parent I would like to have spoken more about my children about what happens when life gets tough and yeah just that. So that by the time they got to be 17 they thought well actually I could do with Mum's help with this, because she knows much more about this than I do. But that the instinct would be, I can, I can, I can deal with this myself. If I can't, of course, I can fall back on Mum and Dad. But they, by the time they go off to university, they need to have their own safety nets in their own head, mm-hmm. not at school, not at home. Because as as we all know, this is one of my bugbears. Some universities offer very good support for students and others, and sometimes the most academically prestigious... They don't
1: exist, do they?
2: They don't exist, or if they do exist, they're in a porter cabin behind the railway station. Mm. And when you get to university, 200 miles away from home, you don't know anybody, you're studying a subject you've never studied before, and you are feeling really low, the safest place you can be is in your room. Who's going to venture out and have the
0: confidence to go and ask for help if they don't know anybody? Is, is there also a sense that parents can get caught up in all the pressure and the measurement and the busyness that we've talked about and actually for all our best intentions we become sort of keeping up with the Joneses and their child's doing this and th- this person's got this grade and so our child has to do that and this person's doing this club? Absolutely, certainly. But I can remember talking to parents as a, as a group saying,
2: please don't compare your child to the other children in their, their class because they're all different don't go into a parent teacher meeting and say well where where is she in the order you know don't, glance, don't don't look at other children's books because they're not relevant and then within days going to a parent teacher meeting for my children and uh, being desperate to look over the teacher's shoulder and see what everybody else's children were doing so it is a natural thing and we have to be proactive in dealing with that i think is not to compare. now my my sister in Wimbledon brought up her children and would come and say, uh, you know, the children, oh, Georgia's doing ballet this afternoon and then she's got this. And and I said, why? And she said, well, the trouble with Wimbledon, and not just Wimbledon. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. And if you're a parent, you feel if you don't, you're shortchanging your children. My godson, during his year two, didn't study sport or drama or art because they were too busy being prepared for the entry test for the local independent school. And that's criminal. And that's not, and parents would say, well, if
0: I don't, I'm, I'm denying my child an opportunity. So it's got to be down to schools. Do you think it's also got to be down to parents? I mean, it always struck when I've been talking to parents that often they, they've never really had a conversation with one another about the type of children that they you know they want their children to sort of grow into it often is about achievement it's not really about personality or character and actually parents need to sit down and say what kind of children are we hoping to yeah sort of produce here was the wrong word but but my goodness that's difficult isn't it i mean
2: yes absolutely right and i would say that to every parent uh but as far as doing it myself an example my my oldest who's lovely 36 he went to uh, to to really good school, got his A levels, got a degree, but he hasn't quite yet decided what he wants to do for a job. 14 years after leaving university, back then that really troubled me, if I'm honest, because I why did it trouble me? Because I thought my kids would do precisely what I did, whether they did you know be a doctor or an accountant or this that and the other, but that's what they do. And when one of them didn't, what's going on? It doesn't trouble me now because actually he needs to be who he is and although I'm all, we all have aspirations for our children we shouldn't be imposing our aspirations on them we should be supporting their aspirations and whatever they're going to be we can't we can't determine that I and mean, that whole nature nurture thing I've come around to an awful lot in favor of the nur- the, the nature and that actually us parents can probably do quite a lot of damage <laughs> but I don't know i don't know that we can turn our children into particular sort of people but i i i think that's absolutely right actually are we going to we're we going to jump on the bandwagon without really thinking about it or are we going to actually say actually what will the best thing for our child
1: Dick, can i go back to resilience and this idea you saying that you know it is schools that it's their responsibility to try and teach resilience and so how else would you suggest a school teacher's resilience? What I don't think it can do is just introduce mindfulness or
2: um, yoga or meditation or have a week where a failure week as one London day school did. Yeah, which was described as a complete failure, wasn't it? Well, it depends. <laughs> out, yeah, I mean, better that than nothing, Yeah, I guess. But it has to be in the culture. Mm. It has to be in the culture. And if you've got the head of a school or the senior management team or the housemasters or the, or all that level actually buying into a culture where emotional and mental health is the top priority mm. because it's recognised that if you get that right, your grades will improve. That's what it needs. So it needs top to top to be on board and then the culture of all the teachers, all the members of staff, And the culture of
1: it's okay to fail. It's it's okay okay to
2: fail. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay. I mean, my thing is, you know, what do I do when I get really emotional and struggling? I have a cry. But we need to give children strategies for this sort of thing. And whether you're teaching maths or rugby or whatever it ends to be, every teacher should be buying into that philosophy. And if you can change the culture of, I mean, you're not going to get every single teacher on board but you need to get the majority you need to get the momentum behind a culture that sees the value of building resilience in
0: in young people it strikes me too that they they look to their peer group don't they and we sort of need to educate and help the older peoples to act as mentors for the younger peoples empathize with where they're at i remember being in that place this is how i dealt with it i didn't deal with this in a good way and actually to try, and we have all these prefects and we have responsibilities, but we have very few people who are actually talking to the younger pupils in a way that's going to help guide them, make mm-hmm. them feel that weakness or vulnerability or failure is okay and it's part of the journey. And I wonder, is there a way in which we can do that more well, effectively? Well, I think so. I, next week, funnily
2: enough, um, I'm going out to a school near Geneva where the head, who's seriously cool, rang me and said, we've got terrible troubles with our years 10 and 11. They've just become fairly feral. They're being foul to each other in person and online. And we have tried everything. Will you come out and work with our senior students and do a mental health first aid course and do some talks so that we can use the senior students to try and get through to their, to their younger peers? And I think, that, I think we, we miss an opportunity. We have all these prefects for ceremonial stuff, and, of course, there are dangers of using 16-, 17-year-olds as go-to because it can wear them down. But if they're adequately trained and the, the lines of communication between student and staff are very, very clear, then we're missing a trick if we don't involve them. And the mental health first aid course, for example, is one day and 16 young people, and, and they will be the people who will cut an awful lot of these problems off at the pass before they become serious issues. And the other thing, as you said, James, is is uh, the role modelling. I was at a school out in the Far East where on one particular day they had uh, a resilience day and they got their PE department, so with respect, you know, seriously cool, fit men and women, tanned. And, and uh, they stood up on a stage in front of the whole school and they talked about the last time they cried. And, uh, you know, one of the guys said last time I cried was when my girlfriend dumped me. One of them said when my daughter was born, um, and so on and so forth. And having these role models, men and women, talking about something that's uniquely personal. And I think, I think going back to, to the culture and the momentum in a school, I, I enjoy asking teachers whether they feel it is unprofessional or important to reveal something of oneself to one's students because of course traditionally no 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 you were the teacher whereas I actually think it's it's really important that they see you as human
0: yeah I think intentional vulnerability it has you have to be careful don't you you, be you? Careful. you don't just want to splurge out everything about yourself but certainly yeah. as a house parent there were definitely occasions where I'd thought about it beforehand I wouldn't necessarily do it instinctively but I would think, yes, I think this is really worth sharing because mm. um, this is going to help them to know my backstory for this particular purpose. And, of
2: course, the, exp- the more experienced the teacher, the more they can know where that very important boundary lies. But I will sometimes ask, you know, has anybody welled up, cried, with a, in front of or with a student or students? You've got to keep control of it. You've got to know where the balance is. But if sometimes we talk to children and... They're desperately sad stories. And if we're if we're remaining aloof to that, are they really going to trust us? Do they think we're going to get it? An awful lot of young people, I say, well, who would you talk to? And they'll say, oh, I'll talk to Mr. So-and-so. And I say, why, why Mr. So-and-so? Oh, because he gets it. Yeah, yeah well, well, whatever is, that
0: phrase, it? he gets it, means it's quite hard to pinpoint. But the the people are very aware and perceptive about that, aren't they? About who really cares. Yeah. And who's really interested. And I
2: think that... Um, I sort of admitted to myself not very long ago that I spent most of my teaching career wanting to be liked. Uh, naff is that really? I mean, and then I, I've now realised that the most important thing was how many of the children that I looked after and cared for felt that I liked and cared for them. And if I could go around to all those thousands of young people and say, "Did you think I liked you? Did you think I cared for you?" And if most of them were to say, "Yeah, no, you did. You could be a grumpy bastard at some stage, but no, I think you did," then, then sure
1: great. Yeah. So I was just about to ask you, Dick. You know, how has you know what you've been through with Barney? How has it really changed you? Oh goodness! From, from um, what you were as a teacher and as a caring headmaster to who you are now. Well, I'm glad you said that changed because I think I was caring. <laughs> but I so I packed in now.
2: It's over nine years ago. And I can't remember thinking of one young person as a senior school or or a prep school who I thought that oh, they're struggling with their mental health. I knew they were struggling, but I never thought about this mental health. So it has given me a whole wealth of new understanding what happened to Barney and the mental health first aid and going to schools, being around young people and teachers and seeing the the changes that are now happening. Um, and for me it has made me realize that frankly for the first 53 years of my life i would have said i I was one of the least resilient people i knew i would run away from confrontation from issues from anything like anything that was uncomfortable no thank you very much not for me and i'd find a way out and when you're ahead you can do that actually because you just delegate (laughs) to your wife or to to your housemasters. or but but I now know that although little things still get to me, big things I can cope with. And that's given me, I guess, a confidence and a belief that, you know what, nothing's nothing's
0: that bad. Could we, sorry, could we touch a little bit on suicide? Because obviously it's a massive issue mm. amongst um, men in particular, isn't it? I think the, the figures between... You know, men between 18 and 35, most common cause of death in the UK is suicide and actually far outweighing quite a number of other aspects of, of illness or whatever. It, are we getting worse as a society, better as a society in terms of dealing with that? What can, can we do? i thinking of parents, schools. I think, I think there are very specific things we can do. And young people tell me
2: that, that this is actually happening. Young people are more. There's still the man up approach and hearing one of our leading politicians telling somebody to man up was disgraceful but we have to be proactive we have to be proactive in in talking to young men what really troubled me recently was the head of a well-known girls school said to me how worried she's becoming about her high achieving girls and the reason she said is we now accept in education and outside education that that young women, women, girls can achieve everything that blokes can achieve. There is a, there's an equal level playing field. So, but some of our high achieving girls are saying yes, yes, yes. But if I'm really going to compete with those boys, I can't afford to show any vulnerability. Now, for me, that would be a complete disaster because I think we and I use the word that you know men, young men, boys need to see women reaching for the stars, achieving them, and still being able to be vulnerable. Yeah. And not be not think that is a terrible thing. So being um, vulnerable is a key word. For me for me, we're all vulnerable. Mm. You know, everybody. There's there's a I've it's one of the things since Barney died that I've discovered is that all my friends not a huge number, but those I have, who, some of whom are incredibly successful, there isn't one of them, not one, who hasn't had something in their lives that has been seriously tough, either with a bereavement or with a, a disaster. We're all vulnerable, not all the time, and we can be, you know, I, I say to young people, I said, look, I'm 62, I've, uh, you know, for most of my life, I've been pretty strong, pretty successful, pretty resilient, pretty tough, pretty blokey bloke, playing rugby, drinking beer. I've been absolutely, yeah, I've been really cool. But the key to all that is the words most of, not all of.
0: Because we can't can't be that perfect person all of the time. It's an interesting idea, isn't it, that word vulnerable? Because it's not a word we use very much in education. It's not a word that we... We sort of talk around it often, but um, we don't really say enough to, to young people. Look, life is hard; mm. it's going to be difficult. There will be challenges. We we often try and sugarcoat that whole adolescent period, don't we? Yeah, we do. And I think one of the things is that you know actually
2: you do have to. There are times when life is difficult, and that's important. That actually having your it's vision a to do it's a learning opportunity, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes something happens to you that is you know very very difficult to handle you know what that's okay so what do you do what are you going to do year 10 when this happens how do you think you as in what 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 do we do when we get really frightened or really angry how do we what, what, what strategies can you suggest why don't we do that I mean my lovely parents who were wonderful I don't ever remember talking to me about you know what I might do if I got really unhappy or sad or angry or very, very over, over, remote What would they never talk to me about that? We don't, we don't do it. Well, we should.
0: In schools, and at home, we must leave it right there. Thank you so much, Dave. That was great fun. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Payne's. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin information about I can and I am charity who provide presentations and resources and help build self confidence in young people visit their website at icaniam.com Be